pretty humbling to be up here. Let me tell you that. Um, first, let me get my eyes so I can see. Um, not as young as I used to be. Not as young as I look from some people. But I tell you what, the Lord is always good to us. No matter what our age, no matter what our lot in life, He is always good. Always good. Reminds me of uh, before I knew Him as Savior. I had a little... Um, little handicapped girl, mentally challenged girl, reminds me of the young lady that usually sits right over here, but she hasn't been here for a while. Um, just like her, when I was working at Wendy's, she witnessed to me, and really to our whole group back there, because she just did it every single day. She would bring her Bible every day, and she would always take, and she'd be like, can I just show you something? Can I just show you something? Can I just show you something? And it got to one day, you know, where I was just like, yeah, go ahead. You know, everybody just be quiet and just listen. And she said, she went through the whole plan of salvation. And at that point, I was like, all right, you're done? Yes, all right, we're gone. You know, we're back to what we're doing. You know, we're working at Wendy's. We're in the back room there. So we all got back to work, and nobody thought anything of it. I didn't think anything of it. I was just glad I didn't have to hear about it anymore. But I tell you what, the Lord used that. One month later, I was laying in the hospital room, and... The people I got into a car accident with walked into that room and asked me if I knew the Lord as my Savior. I don't remember a whole lot about anything else that happened. That's all I remember. All I, the next thing I remember is them turning around and walking out. But I tell you what, laying in that hospital room, I do remember for a fact that I called on the Lord to save me. The rest of the stuff that happened those two weeks that I was there, I couldn't tell you. I, just, I couldn't tell you to this day, but I know for a fact that's the one thing that I remember. Um... Let's look in the Bible here to John, the book of John, chapter 19. The book of John, chapter 19. Let's see, in verse 16. Chapter 9. Yeah, chapter 19, verse 16, the Bible tells us. Let me make sure I got it here before I start reading something that I have no clue what I'll be reading. Nine first, yeah, chapter 19. See, I'm in Luke. It's nerves, I tell you. Nerves. 19. And verse 16. That's why you have notes, just so you know. That's why preachers bring notes up here. Because you're definitely not going to remember what you're going to say. All right. John chapter 19, verse 16, the Bible tells us, Then delivered he therefore unto, the, unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of the, of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew tongue, or in, in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, or, yeah, on either side one. Make sure you get the Bible right, because it means it's there for a purpose. On either side one, and Jesus in the midst. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have here. Let's just... Use me, um, Lord, I don't know how, but I know that you can. And, Lord, I ask that you just use your word mainly. Speak to people's hearts, Lord. Give me peace. Help me to say the words that you put on my heart, Lord. And I ask that you bless everyone here. Help us to make a difference in this world for you and in our lives. Um, Lord, be glorified in your name. Amen. All right. I'm also going to read another verse here in Mark 15. In Mark 15, 
in verse 25. The Bible says, And it was a third hour they crucified him, and the superscript and the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And this scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads, and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple, and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And they were crucified, and they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. You see, we have the setting here, the setting, the whole, everything that's going on in this point. We see that Jesus is on the cross. We see that everybody around him is mocking him, making fun of him, laughing at him. <laughs> you know, all those things that he said, oh, you're the king, you're Jesus, you're the son of God. Yeah, right. Come down from the cross, prove it. You see, he didn't have to prove it anymore. He proved it his whole life. You know, so he didn't have to prove anything. He already proved and fulfilled everything that was taking place. So we see those that mocked and reviled him. And But what gets me is the two thieves on either side. Now I'm going to talk a little bit more about what those two thieves are doing. But those two thieves that were with them, one on the right hand, one on the right hand, one on the left hand, and they were both there, and Jesus is there in the middle. They're going through the same torture that he's going through at this point. You know, they say, and I'm sure all of you have heard, that when you're crucified, I hope I will never know, but you never know with everything that's going on. But when you're crucified and they put you or they put the nails in your hands and then they plummet that cross into the ground, every bone in your body pretty much goes out of socket. I have never had a bone out of socket before. I've had a broken bone before and it was not pretty. But I tell you what. I couldn't imagine the pain that they're going through at that point in time. But yet they still have time that they turn and they mock someone that's in the same position that they're in. Even if they didn't believe him as Christ, as Savior, still the same guy is going through the same problems that they're going through at that very point. You see, all, and I also see that um, a little bit of back previous to that, we have a little bit of history of them. Those three met one other time before. In the prison. See, Jesus was there and he was being questioned, Pilate. And they asked him, you know, are you the king of the Jews? Are you Christ? They asked him a bunch of different questions. But those thieves were there also. You see, my understanding from when those prisons were is that it was one big giant courtyard and the prisoners were pretty much on the outside of that courtyard. And Sometimes they put them down in the down below. But usually, because I'm guessing all three of these guys, well, two at this point, there were three, you know, but he had a pass. Um, you could say. But we have these two guys, these two men that know that their time 
of crucifixion is at hand. They know how they're going to die. They know they're dying today. They know that their time is at hand. And they're listening and witnessing everything that's going on. They could probably hear the, the soldiers mocking and laughing at him as they smack him in the face and place a crown of thorns on his head and push it down in there. And they probably can hear as that whip come up, comes across him and starts tearing that flesh off of him. You see, those men were right there. They know what's going on. They've seen all that transpire. If they didn't see it, they definitely heard it because I'm sure it wasn't quiet. You know, with all those Jews there and everybody else there and all that's going on and those soldiers, I'm sure it wasn't quiet there. You know, this was almost like a time of, of great joy for those people. You know, where, you know, hey, we're having, we're having a crucifixion. Let's everybody come. You know, it's like a big time where we can just come and meet. You know, and, and see what's going on. But, you see, let me turn to the book of Luke real quick here. The book, book of Luke, chapter 23. Luke 23, in verse 39. And one of the male factors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. You see, he's there, and he's like, again, this is part of the mocking that they did, and riling on or railing on him. And they said, if you be Christ, save, save yourself. Oh, and by the way, us too. Yeah, yeah, save us too. You know, because we're, we're just as innocent as you are. You know, and, and he's just like all the other people. Everybody else. But this other guy. In verse 40, the Bible says, But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou, Does not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. You see, this this man, this other male factor, this other prisoner, this other man being crucified, he rebuked the other guy, but in rebuking him, he also admitted his own problems. He said, We're sinners. We've done stuff wrong. We know that. You know, we, we're here because this is what we deserve. And he says, but this guy, this guy has done nothing. Nothing. Nothing wrong. Perfect. And he turns to Jesus after acknowledging that he's a sinner. He turns to him and he calls out to Jesus and he says, remember me. Remember me when you're in your kingdom. And Jesus granted him a reward for his belief. That same reward we can get when we call on Jesus. The same reward that anybody in the world can get if they acknowledge that they're a sinner, believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose again, 
and they call on it. It's, it's three simple little things that you have to do. You know, and that's what he did. Salvation was granted to him because Jesus says, Verily I say to thee, to thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. You see, what I want to focus on here is in Luke 23, 40. The Bible says, but the the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? Just that one part of that statement, that question that he asked. Dost thou not fear God? Fear, the definition of fear, one, the first definition is to be afraid, scared, terrified. Well, I'd definitely be scared, feared, and terrified at their you know, at that point in their life, if I was facing God there. And before that, before I got saved, I didn't really notice. I wasn't smart enough to be afraid. I wasn't smart enough to have fear. I wasn't smart enough to be scared. You see, when people are lost, sometimes we forget. A lot of times we forget. The thing that gets me through so much question and heartache and and problems in my life and it hasn't been easy, hasn't been perfect, hasn't been great, but guess what? It hasn't been as hard as some people. You know, but the thing that gets me through is always remembering what God did for me. Always remembering what he did for me. Not just salvation, but every single step of the way. As we get closer and closer to meeting him in glory, you can use all that past history to remember what he's done, to help you strengthen, to help you be firm in what you actually believe and your faith will grow. But I tell you what, the first definition to be afraid, scared, or terrified. In 1 Samuel seventeen twenty four, the Bible says, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. That was Goliath. That is a big man. I remember one time when, when we were teaching the kids, I made it a life-size picture of Goliath. Not really a picture, but an outline. It didn't fit in the room. You know, we had like eight foot ceilings, I believe. And I believe if you measure out Goliath right, he's like nine foot something. He's a big guy, you know. And when you realize what he was actually facing, what David was actually facing at that point in his life. I mean, he's just a young kid, just a young kid. But he had faith. He believed God. You know, and he did what all the other Israelites didn't do because they were right here. They were afraid. They were scared. They were terrified. You see, fear is immobilizing. Problem with being immobilized means all your praise stops. If you're immobilized, you're not praising anymore. You're not praising God anymore. You can't. You're scared. You're scared to death. You can't, you're like, ah, uh, it's like, it's like when you first find out maybe that you have cancer or you might, it's that fear that you have instantly. It's terrifying. Your praise stops. Your worship ends. All the service that you were doing ceases. It all stops. And you know what happens else? What else happens? The drought starts. You see, you start questioning. Can God do anything? Can he help me? 
Can he, can he get me through this? Is he, is he God? Why does this happen? You see, all those answers are very simple. But they're not simple when you're going through it. You see, you can stand up here and you can say, you just got to believe God and you'll be all right. Just keep doing what you're supposed to do. Just keep doing it and it's all right. You'll be all right. But you know what? When you're going through something, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not always easy to to pull yourself up by your bootstraps like they say. Just get a spine, grow up, be a man. You know what? It's not always easy. It's not easy. But I tell you what, God is always there. You may not feel him. You, you probably will not feel him when you're first going through it. But I tell you what, if you keep going, you keep being faithful, you keep doing right, God's there. He'll give you that strength. He'll give you that grace. And I tell you, there have been people, I remember we went to a nursing home one time, and this little old lady, little old lady, I can't remember her name now, but um, do, you, do you know that she stayed in contact with her a little bit after we left? But she she had all kinds of problems. Her family didn't like her anymore. They never really came to see her. You know, and it's it's a normal. But you know what? She was the first one there. She was the first one to be like, we're having a service, and she's there. And, you know, she even, she was more excited about having a Bible study with Dee than she was about the service. You know, because you actually got to have that time in the Bible. You see, you can go through all kinds of things in life. All kinds of things in life. And they may scare you. They may give you that fear. They may, they may make you uneasy and you start questioning things. But it's, it's nothing. Nothing that God can't handle. You see also, it's also tormenting and blinding. Fear can be blinding and tormenting. You know, if you don't deal with that fear and you let it grow and fester and need more and more and more and more and more, you talk about tormenting. The devil's going to take that and just beat you and beat you and beat you and beat you and beat you until you're pretty much feeling like you're you're useless and you'll never be able to do anything for the Lord ever again. You see, it's not just tormenting and blinding, but you know, fear can be invigorating. You know, if you look at it, and you, you take fear and you're scared at first. You, you're like, I can't do anything. You know, I, I don't, I don't know what to do, but you know, it can, it, it's invigorating. It can give you moving or stimulate you to do something. Most of the time when we're scared, if the instant a dog is running at you and you don't have a clue where that dog came from, what's your instant reaction? You're going to, you're going to be frozen at first, all those first things that I just mentioned. And then something happens. Your feet get moving and you get out of there. Right? So it can be, it can be stimulating to get you out of the way. It can stimulate you to good works. But in Isaiah 64, 6, the Bible tells us, but we are all as unclean things and all of our righteousness as or as filthy rags. In Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So no matter how much good you do, if you don't know the Lord, 
it's not going to do you any good. You know, because if you don't know the Lord, then that fear has you gripped. And you're blind. You, you're not going to be able to see out any way out of that. You're just, you're stuck. There's nothing you can do. But, you know, there there is something else that's invigorating. You know, there's the great white throne. Oh, that's not for the believer. That's not for the believer. The great white throne, that's for the unbeliever. Those that are not saved, it, it's a pure righteous throne. That's why it's the white throne. You see, they're going to come stand before God, all those that are unsaved, and they're going to be like, oh, we did all this, we did that, 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 that. All their good works are going to be revealed. And Jesus is going to look down, the Bible tells us, he's going to look down on the book of life. Their name's not going to be there. And they're going to be cast into a lake of fire. You see, it's not just the the poor that that happens to. It's not just the, the wealthy that that happens to. It's both the small and the great. It's it's a sobering fact. It's an invigorating fact that if you don't know the Lord as Savior, if you've never trusted Him as your Savior, it might be your last time to have an opportunity to do that. You see, a lack of fear could keep you from trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. Jude 23, or 21 through 23 says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some having compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Do whatever it takes to get somebody out of hell. What the Bible says there in Jude. It's what it says in Jude. Dost thou fear God? Hmm. All right, let me not lose my place here. For, let me see. And then, it's for, fear can be to salvation, like we've already covered many times. You see your eternity without Christ, doomed to spend forever in hell, paying for your sins. That's pretty scary. That's pretty sobering. That's pretty invigorating, I think. Once you see that, you, you're faced to make a disturbance. Forced to make a decision, not face to force or whatever that was going to be. But you're forced to make a decision. Once you realize that you're a sinner, once you realize that you've done things contrary to what God tells you to do, you got to make a decision. Either you choose him or you choose hell. That's your decision. Simple. Pretty straightforward. People always try to make an excuse. Nah, I'm good enough. I'll be all right. You accept Christ, paid for your sins on Calvary, and rose again. Again, you have a choice. God in his mercy has given us a choice at every step of the way. Do you choose me or do you not choose me? Do you believe 
that you're a sinner or do you not believe that you're a sinner? Do you believe that I died on the cross for your sins or do you not believe that I died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe if you called upon my name that I'll save you? All choices. He never forces anything on you. Never forces anything on you. Every choice, every decision you make in life is your choice. It's that simple. I don't, you are where you are, Pastor once told me, you are where you are because of the decisions you made yesterday. If you think about it, it's pretty sobering because if you have a problem, that's because you chose that problem years ago, maybe yesterday. Make better decisions, you'll have a better life. That's what he said. Make better decisions, you'll have a better life. Now let me look at the other fear. The other fear, it's a reverence, a great respect. Now that's the fear that should be due God. That's what he's looking for. As an example, I wrote down, if, if your parents, or if you fear your parents with reverence, you'll do what you, what, yeah, you will do things that make them happy. You'll want to do those things without them asking. Doesn't matter what age your parents are. They could be 80, 90, 95. They could be 100, over 100. Doesn't matter. If you reverence your parents and you respect your parents, you're going to do whatever makes them happy. Just because that's what you want to do. If you fear your parents because you're afraid of them, you will do the things to keep yourself out of trouble. You see, if you, if you love God, if you love Jesus and what he's done for you, you're going to do those things, whatever, whatever he asks you to do. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But if you fear him, you're going to do him out of duty. Because you have to do it. I'm going to come to church because I have to come to church. I'm going to read my Bible because I have to read my Bible. I'm going to tell somebody else about Jesus because that's what he tells me I'm supposed to do. You see, these are all things that we should want to do. These are all works that should prove our salvation. You should want to do these things. And it proves to others that, hey, there's something different about that person. There's something different about them. Why are they different? You see, also, the, the other fear, a great reverence, or respect is a judgment seat of Christ. You see in first or second Corinthians five ten, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done of his body, according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Every saved person will stand at the judgment seat. There won't be an unsaved person there. There won't be one person that has to give an excuse for their sin standing there. So what are we being judged for? We're being judged for our works. Those things that we did. Did we do them because we feared God? Because we are afraid of what he said? Or we do them because we reverenced him? We did them because we loved him? Because we wanted to? You see, 
we are always given a choice. If you love him and you serve him because you love him, you'll receive a reward. The Bible says he'll give you crowns. You'll receive a reward. But if, if you did them because you had to, because it was a duty, because you felt like, you know, this is, this is just the monotony of being a Christian. I'm supposed to come to church. I'm supposed to teach Sunday school. I'm supposed to stand up here and preach. You see, Brother Toby's not here, but you know what? I'm sure he goes through a lot of the same things that we go through. He just doesn't tell you. You know, let me read this and I'll be done. Um, first Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. Verse 14. The Bible says, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts of your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. That means it's nothing that you can do, nothing that your parents have done, no history in your existence has done anything that you could do yourself. But with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily is foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. And I end with this, the same question that the thief asked. Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? It's pretty humbling, pretty sobering to me. Do I respect God like I should? He was in the same place that I am. He was in the same place that I am. Do I fear him? Do I, am I scared of him? Do I, am I physically afraid of God because he was in the same place that I am? You see, we all have a choice every single day. You can fear God and be afraid of him. Or you can fear God and love him. And do everything you do because of him. In spite of everything else that's going on in the world. Whatever, whoever is president, whatever's going on on the internet, whatever's going on Facebook and in your family, no matter how much they turn and fight and bicker and whatever else goes on. Does it really matter? Does it really matter at the end of everything? When you face God, does it matter? Not really. Not really. Jesus came to set, you know came to this earth to divide. He's going to separate, and the great separation comes at the judgment seat or at the great white throne. Everybody's head bowed and everybody's eyes are closed. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have. Lord, I ask that you just use this message somehow, some way. 
Help us to love you, to respect you, to fear you like we should. Lord, help us to always remember that in spite of ourselves, you are God. No matter how many times we question, no matter how many times we are scared or afraid or, or even wonder what's going on, help us to remember that you're always in control. Even if we make dumb mistakes, you still use those mistakes in a way that can only be done by you, not only to reach others, but also to help us be more like you. Lord, we thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your honor. Thank you for all that you've done for me. In your name, amen.